He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 113 of Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. As always, I'm James Richardson and I'm joined this week by Barry O'Hanrahan. Hey, Barry. Hey, James. Uh, welcome back from Karn. Welcome back from Karn to you too. Um, if anybody would like to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at podcastgts, at podcastgts. The email is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com and you'll find us under James Richardson and Barry O'Hanrahan on Game Golf. If you haven't downloaded the app, do so and you can follow our games and we can follow you and keep in contact that way. Any views or emails or any feedback or interaction that you have, let us know on this show and thanks a million for all the feedback from last week. So I suppose, Barry, the big news for us this week is that... Uh, you know, we were down for the second of the uh, pro-ams this season that we were playing, and it's our annual trip to to Carn. And after starting with such beautiful sunshine in the Heritage, um, two almost weeks ago, too hot. almost too hot. You could nearly argue in the Heritage. Yeah, uh, right now I would have taken way too hot. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So we played. We went down Thursday. Played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, do you want to start with your highlight of the week, which was probably your round on Friday? <laughs> I know the drive. I love the last bit of the road driving to Carn because you know you just feel like you're getting pulled to to the town, Bell Mullet, and then the, and of course the golf course is just a little bit outside the town. Um, you just kind of feel this magnet hauling you in. Um, maybe it's just because we love going there so much, and you just have this great feeling going back again to such a magnificent golf course. It really is one of the true gems of golf, and um, if anybody hasn't seen photos of it, I've, I had a few up on the Twitter, and well, I'll get a few more up. But get online, Google it, check their website. They have probably some of the biggest sand dunes in the world. They're, they're just amazing, and the golf course was built with very minimal intrusion to the sand dunes, and it the holes are just they all just kind of stand out unique. There's very you know, they kind of sit on their own in places and sometimes you get a peak of another hole, but it's uh, it's just a great place. I could talk, we could talk about it for hours on end, but we only have a little, we're a little bit less than an hour in the well, show, so... Let, let's start with, I suppose, just to put this in perspective, so um, the pro part of the Pro-Am mm. was a four-way tie um, in a very wet and windy weekend over in Carn by Daniel Beatty, who plays out at Deer Park Hotel, uh, Damien McGrain, who I think that's his third time uh, since 2013 being a winner or tied, tied winner. They don't do tie breaks here. They just, no. everybody just, whoever finishes at the top, if there's ties, they all just jointly. Colin Moriarty from Drive Golf Performance, who again has uh, another superb week for him. And I think he's now well and truly leading the Irish PGA of Ireland uh, Order of Merit and Andrew, Andrew Hogan of Edmundstown Golf Club, who over the course of the weekend all finished on plus one uh, for the 36 holes. Um, 
there was the best round of the day on Sunday was a level par by Damien McGrain, and that probably just shows quite how tough the weather was. It was an absolutely very, very wet and windy. Sensational round in those conditions. The wind must have been, say, 40 kilometres or 25 miles an hour for uh, anyone who's on, on the mile an hour system, at least, and gusting more. It was warm, so it wasn't an incredibly... It, it affected the ball a lot at times. You know, it was two, three clubs... But it wasn't one of those cold, hard winter winds that like was a five club wind. But you add into that rain that it was that kind of thin, sticky, small rain that felt like it fell about two hundred kilometers away and got blown in by the wind and just kind of dispersed and just it kind of lashed you from the side. And every ten minutes you had one of those showers. So incredibly testing conditions. To put it in perspective for the the pros, uh, Brian McInerney uh, from the Northwest Golf Club and Simon Thornton, a, a touring pro. Both carded a pair of three under par 69s on Saturday and then on Sunday went out in what allegedly was the better of the weather and ended up with two matching 77s. So yeah. it, it was such a difficult uh, course over the course of the weekend. And um, I suppose really Saturday morning when we played was really the best of the weather. It was, it was the dry, there was very yeah. little wind. Um, and it was certainly there to be had, and mm. you know it wasn't a surprise to see you know three under kind of leading it on on Saturday night. No, not at um, all. Particularly as the wind and the rain started coming in on Saturday afternoon when mm-hmm. we were coming off the course. So when we talk about the likes of the, the 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 Open Championship and being on the right side of the draw, for this pro am we were very lucky. We were on the right side of the draw, though. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine today. And he was down and he played on Sunday morning. And he said they got so wet on Saturday that their gear wasn't even dry by Sunday morning. And when they went out, they actually walked in after five holes because it just simply wasn't playable. They said it just, they all looked, they talked to the pro and they said, your call if you want. And he was, you know, quite a few over at that stage. And he said, lads, if you want to go in, I'll buy into that and the way they went and they walked off the course after five yeah there were nine, nine well seven retire retirements on the uh sunday i think and one withdrawal so the you know it, these were brutal conditions and we were in the house on sunday morning looking out and seeing this rain and this was proper rain lashing in um brutal conditions you just wouldn't you wouldn't want to go, you would never want to go out in it if it hits you on the golf course and maybe last a half an hour so be it but this was just relentless for two three four hours in the morning well he had said to me that uh you know and, and, and john would be a guy who would play an awful lot of um uh, golf and he just said got to a point where it was just so uncomfortable so horrendous so ugh, that he just decided why are we doing it and, mm. and as he made the point it was probably a bit unfair because it just, the conditions were so bad. The wind was so, you know, it just, he was amazed that the course was even open at the time. He said mm-hmm. they were really obviously just wanting to get the two days played and perhaps it wasn't the right decision. He was making the point and I, moving it onto the course for a second, he made the very fair point that it was one of the best setups he's played now a couple of years and he felt that the greens this year were... You know, sizably better than they were last year. They were last year's fabulous. greens were were pretty poor, but he thought this year now was a, a very different kettle of fish. And uh, like when we went out on Friday for our practice round, I don't think I've ever seen greens that consistently 
lush and with a consistent colour of green on the Lynx golf course before. They were they were incredible. You almost would have thought you were on a parkland course. Now, we knew they were going to be cut a little bit for the Saturday and Sunday, and they weren't that much faster on the Saturday and Sunday, but they were cut and prepared for the tournaments. But they really were great. They rolled so true, and if you missed a putt, it was your fault. Or the wind on Sunday now, which didn't help, of course. But um, the fairways were a little bit beaten up, but that's because we had a really harsh winter. But, uh, the important parts of the course where you needed the ball to be rolling smooth on the greens, it all worked well. So, with regard to the to the amateur side of the mm-hmm. draw, I suppose, uh, Andy Hogan's team um, put in a 98 on the first round and an 89 on the second to win it by nine shots with 187 total. Nine points. So yeah, just in case anybody doesn't Sorry, understand the points. format, so we've there's three amateurs in a pro play, and the best two Stableford scores from the four players on every hole count. So to shoot ninety points is you're averaging five points a hole for the team. So these guys absolutely obliterated that by shooting ninety eight points, like phenomenal scoring. And then what do they do in the Sunday in the horrible conditions? Uh, 89. Nine, was 89. 89, uh, which was again the best of the, the, the day. Um, we finished uh, a little further down than we usually finish in this. We finished in 26th on our own, but uh, importantly, we were ahead of the Patrick Geraghty team, which was uh, your father's team. So yeah. the mini Carn Cup has returned again for another year in our stable, which is nice to have. Good. I feel like the Europeans versus the Americans in the Ryder Cup at the moment. Yeah, well, we might need to shake things up, otherwise it's just going to get boring. But Not at all. I love winning. It's great. Out of the course of the weekend, Barry, um, any particular highlights over the three days of golf? Any particular hole that you, you, you really enjoyed or any shots that will live long in the memory? Finishing with a birdie was nice on the 18th. That was good. It's a good way to finish and sign off the week. I mean, I actually, I struggled. I So I... Played very well on the Friday. I shot eight over gross. Um, things were going well. I was holding putts, hitting pretty good shots around the place. Didn't make anything worse than a bogey, so I was really happy about that. And we get out there on Saturday, and golf, the fickle that she is, absolutely ruined me. I could not knock snow off a rope. Now, I think I did have a few three-pointers in there, but they were maybe three or four throughout the 18 holes. The rest of the time, I was a one-pointer or a scratch, so I was zero help to the team. I was in a horrible mood. I was cursing. I was just useless. No good for anybody. There was a lot of negativity, all right. Yeah. Um, and the thing, like, it sucks when you play bad golf for yourself. But it, for me, it sucks infinitely more when I play bad golf and it affects a team. And that's what got me down so much. Um, bad reaction to it. But kind of had to think about it on the Saturday night. We had a chat about it. Um, I got talking to Pat Garrity, the pro, and was telling him about my day and he said, Sean, look, just you know, grip a club there for me. So I gripped a club and he spotted something that was just slid out of place on my grip. So gave me, he just said, just put lock it in like this. And that's what I used for Sunday. And I, I thought I played, I played, I was so happy with how I played on Sunday. I think I maybe had one kind of moment of a little bit of frustration after a tee shot, but that lasted three seconds. You know, I, I kind of let that go pretty quickly. And for the most part, I thought I dealt with the crappy conditions on Sunday pretty well. Well, that was, consi- I suppose it helps when you're hitting the ball pretty well and getting some all right scores in. But uh, it was, let me see, I'll probably finish it with the, finishing with the birdie is always nice. You can't go wrong with that. Good drive, four around to the back of the green, two putts, happy days for a birdie. So, um, yeah, I don't know, it's hard to, yeah, I can't really pimp with anything. I just, I love the whole experience of the weekend. It's just great fun, you know. And I know the listeners and, have heard us go on about pro-ams and they really do, you know, 
just adds to the whole golfing experience and you know whether you're in ireland or abroad you know definitely try and get onto your local kind of pga website and find find a pro-am and try and get a few friends together to do it because it's definitely an experience and one that's you know well worth it um what was I, your highlight of the weekend well, I had two, but it's totally selfish attitude because one is out of competition was my uh, 300 and something hour drive on the 6th, which left me 80 out oh, you to the pass. pin and uh, well, I let, hit a 60 degree wedge. Let's just get this kind of, uh, put this in perspective. So this fairway goes from kind of a wide bodied bottle of two liter Coca-Cola to as narrow as the top opening that's where it goes to and you fit your ball right into the middle of the top opening to, was, to literally give yourself a flick and this and, hole this is one of our favorite holes in the course as well yeah and and it's definitely one that if you hit it well you get you do get a benefit of a downhill you know bounce and it will shoot on so you, i'm not you, i didn't carry it that far you i'm played, pretty aware of it you used what was there yeah. to get max distance you know but it, yeah we marked it in uh, game golf and i think the game golf system came up at three three ten or three eighteen or something like that. Gorgeous. So I left uh, left myself anyway eighty yards into the pin, uh, hit the sixty degree wedge, which were the new SM sixes that I got. Um, arrived from Titleist on Thursday morning, which thankfully Barry picked up for me before we got down to Carn. And uh, anyway, held held the 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 the, the putt for a birdie in competition. Uh, the the best two drive the best drive and three wood I think I've hit in a long long time on eighteen on the first day it was our mm. ninth. Oh, that was uh, such a great three wood. Over, oh went over the, the the top of the pin and uh, left myself what forty foot for the eagle. Yeah, forty foot for the eagle. Um, didn't make it and and, and unfortunately uh, left the, the the birdie put on the edge. But I'll never take away the drive and the three wood. No. The second I hit that three wood, I knew that it was absolutely it was as clean a strike as I've I've heard off that for a long while mm. so uh, there was a lot of good stuff you know I had the birdie on 16 I had I thought I played pretty well over the two days I'm not a, really a wind golfer I've decided I don't like it and um, my ball flight doesn't lend itself to to wind and and I don't have the shots or the tools in my bag yet to deal with really strong wind into my face across or you know i don't yeah. mind if it's downwind downwind's or fine, off the side you know but it's when it's into the face to to control the loft to control the spin it doesn't work for tough. me you know it's, so i think it's tough for everybody all right amateur pro really low amateur really high amateur whatever i just those are really difficult golf shots especially if you're into the teeth of the wind you make any any anything any deviation other than a perfectly straight shot is going to be magnified multiple times when the wind is into your face. Yeah, I think some people are better. Like Pat Garrity um, is superb at it. Mm. You know, I was talking to your dad and uh, the lads that were playing with him, and they said it was just a master class of how to play in the wind. He just lowered he the kept ball it flight. low. He controlled it three quarters, seventy five percent swings. Mm. You know, swinging it easy. You know, everything. They said it was a real masterclass. Like he was five over on the front nine. He finished five over overall mm-hmm. on Sunday. That included a lost really, ball as well. Really tough conditions, but they just said, you know, but there's a guy who knows how to play. So I do think that you can play in those conditions, you know. And I don't think it's unusual to see where a lot of those nasty conditions, high handicappers who don't have necessarily a big ball flight, tend to come in with quite good scores compared to other people because. They know how to play it and they're bunting it along. Yeah, well, but, their uh, ball flight would generally be quite low. They'd struggle to get the ball in the air like we can. And that that will 
transfer into them not being, you know, not being going miles wayward because they're not hitting the ball a long way, and they're also keeping quite low under the wind. So, yeah, look, it's a, they're really good skills to learn to be able to hit the ball in windy conditions and to lower that ball flight. And it's it's something we have to work on, you yeah. know. And it's another aspect of the game and another challenge of the game that, I mean, it's just fun playing in the wind because you have to use your imagination so much and kind of visualize shots that are just so out of the ordinary but it's it, it is a bit I love it I think it's really good fun it's incredibly frustrating but very rewarding when you do pull it off so uh, yeah back to Karn as soon as possible hopefully yeah, so. try and nip down there between now and next year's program so anyway look that is that you know thanks to, to Karn it was a, another great weekend course was good just try and work the weather out next year. They do, um, they do need to get that weather control function under wraps. Well, the thing was that a couple of years ago, we had stunning weather for two years, you know, back to back. And now we had bad weather last year. And in fairness, we weren't on the worst side of the draw. Like, I really wouldn't have fancied rain all day Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. and all day mon- uh, Sunday morning. So look, you know, another great weekend. And again, you know, if people are interested, get onto Karn's website, have a look. There's rumor that um, Joe Biden, uh, the vice president of the U.S., is going to play golf there uh, this week. He's going to he's, Mayo, isn't he? To check yeah, out he's currently family history. Yeah, so he's currently down there at the moment. He's on a six-day official holiday here with his family, and there's talk that he's going to head off to. Um, to he is playing golf, and it's going yeah. to be either Enniscrown or Carn. Uh, so Enniscrown is Sligo, though, isn't it? He's a Mayo man. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, there, there's been rumors, and there was a bit of rumor going around down in Belmullet that he was coming and that they had already had the Secret Service out. So, you'll see it all over the internet, I'm sure. If not, get on. Barry has put a load of stuff up on our podcast GTS um, over the course of the weekend, and I suppose we're now back to the, the, the realities of uh, normal golf next week in, in Glen of the Downs. So, I have a slightly exciting weekend ahead. Unfortunately, well, you're. What, a little bit engaged this weekend. With I am a little bit engaged. Social, yeah, not not to another woman. Still got your wife, but just socially and otherwise. Um, we have at no laying up coming over to visit us. Um, great Twitter account if you don't follow his website's brilliant. But he's coming over and visiting from the Netherlands to do a golfing weekend. So at the moment we have a couple of absolutely sensational golf courses lined up, and just trying to uh, get a couple more together to fill four rounds of golf in three days or not even it's probably about 48 hours we've been playing four rounds of golf almost so um, really looking forward to that and look out for at no laying up and that podcast gts over the weekend there'll be plenty of stuff going up uh, yeah and as you say at podcast gts you'll be able to kind of keep in track with everything and, and, and no laying up so hopefully i'll be able to dip in and out at some point over the course of uh, the week end so look, let's look at some of the news, and I suppose the big, big news this week, other than uh, our our trip to Carn, is that uh, Rory McIlroy is now the latest, and I suppose with all due respect to the rest of them, the biggest name now to confirm that he is not going to attend at the Rio Olympics. Rory announced his decision through a statement this uh, on on uh, this morning, citing that the Zika virus as the biggest reason for not going. He says in his uh, press release, after speaking with those closest to me, I've come to realise that my health and my family's health comes before anything else. Even though the risk of infection from the Zika virus is considered low, it is a risk nonetheless and uh, a risk I'm not willing to take. I trust the Irish people will understand my position. The unwavering support I received every time I compete in a golf tournament, home or abroad, means the world to me. 
I'll continue to endeavour to make my fans and fans of golf proud with my golf play on the course and my actions off it. So, look, this this is now another name, Adam Scott, Louis Eustace and Charles Schwartzel um, and a few others that um, have, you know, indicated a definite move away from, from attending. We still have question marks over Jason Day, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler and Danny Willett. Um, it's the first time golf is in the Olympics after 112 years and to be fair, we've discussed at length over the last while about the idea of whether or not this is really should it have been for the pros or should it have been amateurs but it's a big blow for the Irish team first because there had been so much question marks over the last while would he have gone for the the Great Mm. Britain team was he going to go for Ireland on the basis that it was an all-Ireland team that he represented with the GUI and so there was an awful lot of political things going on so it's somewhat of a disappointment for everybody that um, Ireland's strongest player isn't going to be there. And uh, it's a loss to the Olympics that are going to obviously want, you know, on golf that wants to stay a part of the Olympics going beyond four years in Mm. Tokyo. It doesn't bode well, doesn't it, when these big superstars are dropping. And I wouldn't be surprised now if you get a few more between now and 11th of July. I think the 11th of July is the cutoff for it. So um, a few more might follow with Rory having departed from it. I would... Hazard a guess, and I'm only guessing this, that uh, the next disappointment for Irish golf will be Shane Lowry not doing it. He's just married, and I know he's been mm-hmm. talking about concerns around the Zika virus and, uh, you know, how that might, um, you know, affect family and things like that that they may decide to do in the future. It, it's 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 a problem not just for golf, it's a problem for the Olympics generally, and we won't go into into that, but... Do you respect Rory's decision or do you think that this may be a little bit of a cop-out that maybe he just, with coming off the back of the US Open last week's disappointment and not making it, is this something that gets it out of the schedule, it gives him a week off, or do you think that it is a a 100% genuine position that he's taking? It's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, there's obviously an honour in being an Olympian to represent your country to play in the Olympics. You don't like you go out every week and represent yourself in the golf course, but it's very few times you get to represent your country in golf uh, in the professional ranks. So I don't think it's a decision he took lightly. Um, we have to respect it um, for the for Zika virus reasons. He's got you know he's got health concerns, and uh, what what can we do? The decision is made. There's not going to be a reverse now. So. Um, it's just it's a shame. I think I think we when we discussed the Olympics before, having it as an amateur only event might have been the way to go for it. But then again, you're still going to get the high profile amateurs might have dropped out because of the Zika virus as well. So um, it's well, just trying to trying to slot the Olympics into an already jammed schedule is uh, for the pros. It just it hasn't seemed to have worked too well. Uh, I don't know what actually the or how to qualify. So it's. Um there's, there's, there's 60, 60 qualify and it's based off the world ranking so you know it's um, it's going to be interesting to see who, who can or will step forward um, it's certainly not going to be the world's best anyway at this mm. um, I heard people talking today on the radio at the idea that look simply this is a situation that for the most part this isn't something that most of them care about the four majors is what they care about And mm. well that was, uh, we saw that in the secret tour uh the anonymous poll of the tour pros, they had it ranked pretty much on a par with the Players' Championship. 
And that probably for them is yeah. probably about where it is. I think it would be a lot higher if it was the amateurs, but mm. oh, of it, course, it's a decision that's been made. But look, at the end of the day, one of the golfers that goes there is going to come home with an Olympic gold medal, and that will be unique in golf. So it will be a really cool thing. Well, it won't be won. technically four years. There'll be another one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's if the so Olympics. Two, uh, that's if the Olympics decide to retain golf as well. You know, it's guaranteed to be retained for two Olympics. So it is this, okay. this, and the next one, and then after that, it's open. Uh, so Tiger Woods has already come out today on various issues and has indicated that he thinks that it should be fixed, you know, and there, there should be a move towards, you know, looking at, at, at different ideas. And let's look at some other news, and I suppose just on the equipment front, and this is a big deal for probably you and I and, and people who uh, play Titleist and like Titleists, uh, the new 917 drivers have been sent off to the Quicken Loans historically, like, Every year, like clockwork, you can always the tour season happens. That, um, the, the 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 prototype titleists are being validated by their brand ambassadors. And every few um, hours, you get more and more photos from different angles of the. It's, it's so funny, you know. They, they they on their website, it's the prototype titleist drivers are now being validated by our brand ambassadors on the worldwide professional tours. Yeah. Performance validation with the game's best players is a critical step in the process that all titleist golf clubs go through prior to being launched to market. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Titleist as I am a player of theirs and I am totally unashamedly going to be buying this driver. But I'm guessing that there is simply no changes that are going to happen to the 917 driver after Quick and Oh, Hell. God, so, no. That's being produced right but, now. But it's just so funny that they make it sound like, you know, if, if one of the lads come forward and goes... Nah, it's just not working, yeah. you know. Back to the drawing board. They're going to go, oh, well, player validation hasn't been given. Stop production. You know, so, you know, oh, you know, Jordan, Jordan Spieth isn't happy with the driver. We best go back and change it. I just don't get the impression that, you know, a Walker or a Scott or a Bill Haas is going to be able to radically change this driver. This, there is no, um, There are no changes going to be made to how its current iteration, how it stands whatsoever. These guys have all been working on this driver in the in behind closed doors for the last two, maybe four years. This could be four or five, six years in the planning. Nothing's happening to this. It's in production. They're it's tour validation, Barry. It's they, tour validation. Well, they're validating the fact that it's actually made the tour now. That's all they're... You know. So it uh, it's an interesting one, but um, it takes a lot of the cues from the C-17. C-16. Uh, C-16, with a very expensive uh, oh, yeah. €1,000 a driver, $1,000 a driver. So we'll wait and see. August the 2nd, I understand your local Titleist fitters should have it. Start um, booking your fitting sessions now, because they will be popular. Um, Come here, quick... Speaking of equipment, quick review of the SM6 wedges. Tell, oh, tell, yeah. tell, tell all the listeners a little bit about them, like because they're they're beautiful wedges. So um, you know, yeah, they're beautiful wedges. Uh, the spin that I got off them all week was amazing. Um, you know, and I suppose the big difference for me was just the physical weight of them. Mm. There, there seems to be an awful lot now. I obviously I have slightly heavier um, uh, shafts. I have the KBS Tor shaft, which is slightly heavier. Uh, than, than a lot of regular shafts um, but yeah it, they're beautiful the, the the center of gravity does go up depending on where it is so my 60 degree the, the center, center of gravity, gravity is at the yeah. top end and um, I don't get too bogged down into to bounces and grinds Mark me tells me what to buy that suits my game and I go and buy it the biggest thing I notice compared to my SM4s is that 
it really was effortless. I did not. I just once I got the club to where in the back stroke, back back swing, I wanted it. I didn't really have to do anything with my. I just needed to let my hands drop, mm. and it would it would click through. Like it was the way the club allowed you a freer swing. Like yeah. I noticed that it just it kind of just almost let your it the club let it was your more arms pendulum. Yeah, the you club know. moved your arms rather than your arms moving the club. It just kind of said, you need to swing me in this way. And that's without actually actively doing anything to you. It just, it all seemed to slot into place in really good wedge it, swings. It, it, it also makes you, it, it makes you have to change the way you approach some of the, the shorts. So there was the par five on the back nine, the 13th. I was short and um, I was short in two. It's very. It's a long par five, so I knew I wouldn't reach it with you know driver three wood. So I knew I was going to be short, but I was happy with that. I reached out driver three arm. What's going on? I, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and then there was seven shots after that, and um, and the problem was that I hit the I hit the fifty four degree forward in the stance and threw it, and it got to the top of the hill, spun, stopped, and then came back down the hill. Mm. Where if I had more time with them and I think when I go out this week and next week in, in Glen of the Downs I'll be much more likely to go at the hole yeah. to get it up there because I had changed from and same with them because your ball is reacting differently to what you've been used to from the, the previous SM4s well the, yeah there's definitely more spin on them and that's not just because the grooves are obviously brand new it's mm. just simply that the club is better it's 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 got more playability the one bit that I like I'm, I'm thinking of the two shots on uh, Friday and Sunday on the 18th, where I was just short. That was, without, I think, that was the best shot you hit all weekend. The one, on the little Sunday. red shot on 18, just just over the hill. You, on the, Friday you hit, or Sunday? It was because Friday. They really held the one on Friday. Yes, and I was just pin high this is, at the back. Yeah, this is right. beautiful. So just before the green where you were, there's a there's a hill to go over. It's maybe three or four foot high from where your ball was sitting. It's higher than me anyway. <laughs> okay, James is three foot four. I, no, couldn't, was, I couldn't see the top could, of the flag. You couldn't see the flag. So it's probably, you're probably coming up about a five foot hill. You hit perfect trajectory just to get it over the top of the hill, landed just on the edge of the fringe. fringe. It spun like off a very short shot because you'd only flown the ball maybe 10 yards, uh, eight, probably, eight yeah. ten yards. It spun and just released perfectly down the hill. And it was just... That was it. When I saw that, I went, oh my God, these things are awesome. Like, because no, it was... before with the SM6, the SM4s, you would have, it would have been completely different. You would have, you might have sculled it or you could have hit it heavy, but these things just seem to groove the swing into a beautiful, bring the clubbing into the back of the ball so beautifully. And I, th- I thought that was, I saw that and went, wow, that's nice. Really, really No, they're, they're superb. Like, this is the first time I've changed since the SM4s and they're definitely a different club there. You can, I, I like to try and stay on product cycles if I can, just because usually I would, like drivers and, and irons, I would trade in and, mm. you know, and that's the maximum I'm going to get is then. But I hadn't with the wedges just simply because I didn't feel the need. But I have to say, I, I, I've noticed a difference in these so much so that I'm going to put in an order and take out the AP2 gap wedge that I have mm-hmm. and actually put in probably a 50 degree Vokey, uh, yeah. Vokey because I actually just love hitting them so much that mm. actually it, it may be a benefit James will be getting custom fitted Vokey 7 irons next time. yeah well if they had them you know if that's if that's what gets me around in the lowest number I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kick shit off a, off a rope if that's the case and um, so the LPGA the Meyer uh, LPGA classic for simple give 
was played over in the Grand Rapids in Michigan. It was played over the 6,414-yard par 71. And Si Young Kim defeated uh, Jinganda on the first playoff hole. She had a beautiful approach to three feet and uh, I assume held out from there. The final rounding off the top five was uh, Lexi Thompson, Lydia Ko and Ji Chung. So another um, usual names up there at the top of the LPGA. Um, I'm not going to lie, I saw absolutely zero of that. And if it wasn't for the fact that Barry had written any of that on my uh, sheet, it wouldn't have been known. Let's move on to the 116th US Open and Oakmont Golf and Country Club in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was played over the 7,255-yard par 70. And firstly, I suppose, let's talk about Dustin Johnson. He has won his first major. He won it um, by three shots in the end. And we'll come on to the controversy in a minute. But before we do, Barry, Oakmont Golf and Country Club failed before this tournament said it was the, the, the toughest and most stringent test of golf that there is at a US Open and, and perhaps at golf uh, in general. What did you think of the course? What did you think of the setup of the course? And um, just your overall impressions before we get on to the nitty gritty of what will be, you know, a lot of discussion about the winner and, and the also runs. That course is petrifying. I mean, it any mistake you made or half mistake you made it seemed to be punished to the maximum extent it was um, it really was scary and for for a course that took enormous amounts of rain um, on the Thursday with the thunderstorms with rain before that on the Wednesday or the Tuesday so it soaked up an awful lot of rain and played reasonably soft all things considered for three of the four rounds and for only four guys to beat par and three of those to be only one better than par can only imagine what that place would have been like had there been no rain in advance of the tournament. It would have decimated the fields. Um, God, God only knows how many shots they would have been further back from what their finishing totals were. It's, so uh, it it's it scared the bejesus out of me. The bunkers are so deep. The rough just was. I don't even know how you get out of that rough. Like if that ball sat down at the bottom of an eight-inch rough, for these guys to even get the ball in the green was a remarkable achievement. But. Um, Really, really. So anyone who was up there in the top twenty to hold on and stay that close to to where they were, like it's superb performances all round. And so, just before we do talk about the actual players, um, out of ten with the US, because I know that you're going to probably give them an F in a minute for, <laughs> for other bits. But out of a, a grading system for the the, the way the course. course was set up, and and you know. Was it up to the USGA standard? Was it a US Open course? Oh, or, big time, yeah. You know, do you think it was just a bit too tough and a bit too unfair? I think they went too far with it. Then they got saved by the rain. We could have ended up with another Shinnecock Hills where they lost a green, uh, was it the 7th or something, Shinnecock, where they had to stop the round and water the green because nobody could hold a goddamn green. I think they, the USGA got saved massive embarrassment for making it too tough by the rain that fell. Um, what about the par 3 drivable par 3 and then the the drivable par 4 the short par 4 basically the short par 4 that plays the par 3 good idea bad idea just ridiculously too long where even the pros are 
But they know, were, the just, pros were laying up to 20, 30 yards short of it. They weren't trying to take it on for fear of getting into more trouble beyond the pin or in the bunkers to the side. They were quite happy to put it into that landing zone short of the green and take their chances getting up and down from there. Which, hey, look, you've got to play the hole the best way you see possible. Everyone played it to a par of three all week. It wasn't like it was changing. So the the notion of par of a hole is, um, it doesn't really matter because everyone has to play it. So if you play it in three shots or four shots, you know, it's, it's the same for all the holes the whole way around. It's just the par is kind of a, a concept for a hole that uh, you just have to deal with mentally. I thought it was I thought it was a bit mad. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, a, a, a fun thing, but once once maybe keep it unique to Oakmont. There's no need to have that as a, a status quo in tournaments. I just think it's too much. What did you like? Where were you on that? I uh, look. <coughs> I, I thought the course was 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 set up well. I I actually quite enjoyed it. And um, for these guys, like. You know, I, I, I think it's a nonsense if you're hitting, you know, if, if a pro is hitting a three wood and still not making the green on a par three, it's it's gone too far. Mm. That's just my own personal opinion. I wouldn't have minded if they had moved them up and they had to hit like two irons to the middle or, 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 or you know, rescues or something along those lines to mm. um, it. I, I, look, it worked just about. It, it is certainly not what it's going to be remembered for. And I suppose let's move on to that aspect of it. So Dustin Johnson is the 116th US Open after carding a 4 under 276, 67, 69, 71, 69. And the nearest contenders, um, Jim Furyk, Scott Piercy and Shane Lowry, were three behind with mixed fortunes over the final day. Shane Lowry, who led by four shots going into the slightly delayed Sunday round after finishing earlier that day with a 65 in the third round, couldn't match the 65 and couldn't certainly match the 69 that Dustin Johnson put, finishing and carding with the 76. Scott Piercy had a 69 and Jim Furyk had a 66, one of the best of the day over the course to leave them all tied for second. And beyond that, we had Sergio Garcia and Brandon Grace who were a further shot behind. And then thereafter, you really had the guys like Kevin Nadd, Jason Duffner, Zach Johnson, Jason Day, David Lingmurth, and uh, Daniel Summerhays all kind of moving further and further down the field, um, certainly rounding off the top 12. This is going to be probably remembered for two things. One is Shane Lowry unable to finish out what he started over three very comfortable days. And just simply didn't give himself enough opportunities to to make birdies and make pars on Sunday. The second aspect, Barry, is that Justin Johnson and the fiasco around the ball moving on the green, was it or was it not him? Was it intentional? Was it not intentional? And all of the debate that went on and on and on and on. Which of the two do you think played the larger part in the ultimate story that's going to come out of the 116th uh, US Open. It will be remembered for Dustin Johnson winning his first major as somebody who's had so many heartbreaking moments in majors until now. Nobody will ever be able to forget his win in this major without remembering the complete and utter mess that the USGA made of the final round. Um, I, for one, was extremely annoyed at it 
um, on multiple levels. Primarily, though, on the Sunday night because it was so distracting a thing to happen, and it was everything was all over the place that I found myself not remembering or not watching and missing an awful lot of what was happening on the course and, and shots that happened. And what I really remember seeing was. Um, Dustin have a little wobble after being told on the 12th tee, but kind of locking things down. And then Shane Larry making those three, you know, missing those three putts for par in a row in 14, 15, 16. But other than that, I found myself extremely distracted by the whole thing and very angry at them for how they, they just made such a mess of the tournament uh, in, a, in a completely unnecessary way. It was almost like they had a, a targeting campaign on Dustin Johnson, you know, with the, the whistling straights thing happening. Now, that was completely his fault. He put his foot club on the ground in the bunker when there were signs up around the place all week. But it just seemed like it was they were having a go at him for whatever reason. Um, just being pedantic for the sake of being pedantic. The ruling was made by the referee on the green. It should have just stood like that. The guy is an appointed referee. And uh, he said, that's fine. Play from where it lies. That should be it. It should stand. You know, the same way as a referee says, that drop is fine. You know, when a player takes a drop, the referee goes, that drop is fine. It should stand from there on. Not these armchair people ringing in and reviewing stuff. I, I don't know. Um, it really, it really, really annoyed me. And um, not the only one. You know, tour pros were jumping in on Twitter like crazy. McElroy, Fowler, um, Spieth, Tiger Woods were all voicing how outraged they were at the whole thing. It's, uh, it's yeah. We could talk about it for a long time. I don't want to spend too long because I know everybody's. You know, it's taken enough of our focus already away from what was a stunning performance from Johnson. And and I think you know his, his shot into eighteen probably epitomised quite how well he played. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the decision by the US GA with regard to the penalty or not giving the penalty or not communicating to anybody. Because I have to say, I got sick and tired of not only hearing the commentary in the in the room that was mm-hmm. watching it, but also I was sick and tired of hearing Butch Harmon and everybody go on about it repeatedly, mm-hmm. which detracted, in my opinion, my enjoyment of actually watching the golf. Yeah, I completely you know, agree. And, and, and I wanted to watch the golf. Like Shane Lowry, regardless, in my opinion, of whether or not there was a rule or wasn't a rule, breach these guys could still go out if they had beaten if any of those guys had gone out and had one shot better than Dustin Johnson we wouldn't be talking about this because they'd be the they'd be the winner of the US Open yeah and so you know but all the way through the commentary we had this is disrespectful to Shane Lowry and blah blah I haven't heard Shane Lowry come out and say anything other than, look, I didn't play well on the mm-hmm. final day. I didn't deal with the emotion well enough. I didn't deal with um, putting the ball in the right place at the right time and giving myself chances. And that, in fairness, is what I saw. Yeah. You know, he wasn't playing well up to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He didn't play well for the back straight. Mm-hmm. The Sunday of a major, he didn't, unfortunately, come through it. Now, I think he, I think he will win a major. I, and, in fact... He is a guy that I would absolutely think is going to be, you know, very much in contention come the Open Championship in a yeah. few weeks. And it's funny because I wasn't on this program last week when you were talking to Steve Bamford, mm. but we were talking in the car on the way to Carn, and you asked me who I would have backed, and I said to you Shane Lowry because of the fact that I thought a short game would be superb for this. Mm. He's come through it, and I think he will win in the future. I think it's but I don't maturity. think. It, yeah, I just don't think that this whole situation 
is a get out of jail card for mm-hmm. the other pros who didn't go and shoot a better number than Dustin Johnson. And we can talk about the USGA and we can talk about how it was handled and Rory's tweets and Jason Day's tweets and everybody else's tweets. The bottom line is the other 70 something competitors did mm-hmm. not go one shot better than, than Dustin, Dustin Johnson. Johnson. And I, on that basis, it, it becomes a moot point. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And just Larry's maturity in dealing with the situation, he's not looking for an escape clause. He's not looking for an excuse. He's very just well self-reflective uh, in that he didn't play well enough on Sunday. He really didn't. He had a case of the hooks. Things just weren't going right. And um, he'll learn so much from that round. And he'll be back stronger than ever. I think the one... I can't remember where it was exactly in the course. was sometime in the middle of the round. Um, maybe on the 10th, 9th or 10th. But he hit a shot. He turned to his caddy, Dermot Byrne. And he just said... It was a poor shot. He said, it's all going so fast. It's just a blur. And we all know how that happens in high-pressure situations where you feel like everything's just going past so fast you don't have time to think and to to work things out and to figure it out and feel like you're in control of the situation. And I think that's just a, a case of the, the moment becoming, or the occasion just becoming too much for him because he didn't have experience in that before. But going through that and all, you know still being in with a chance coming down the stretch he'll come out of that so strong and he's just got such a great outlook on things. Um, he's going to be he's going to be a very dangerous man if he's in that position again in a major, I think. Do you think that um, when Dustin went in to the score, scoring unit and they said, we think you violated rule 18-2 or whatever it was, I think everybody probably now knows what 18-2 is, but that, do you think, it's a much easier conversation to go, sure, give me whatever fucking penalty you want. As long as it's not more than three or uh, two more, shots, uh, as long as it's not more than four, and I'm not going into a, an 18 hole playoff, I don't care what you give me. Yeah. I'll, you can give me as many penalties as you want, as long as I finish at two under. Do you think if this was the difference between, you know, at minus four, or that the two people finish at minus five and then the penalty, do you think there would be a much bigger, in, you know, argument by Dustin? It looked to me like a guy who just didn't give a shit. Oh, he didn't care. Give me a four-stroke penalty, three-stroke penalty, I don't care, because I'm still going to win by one shot. Mm. As long as my name's on the trophy, do whatever you want. Um, do you think they would have enforced that penalty if he had finished one shot ahead or tied for the lead? Because well, they gave, but, they, but the I, consistency would have to be that, yeah, you have to assume that on the basis that they gave him the penalty, you have to assume that regardless of where he finished, they were going to give him or the penalty. Or what he was going to say. But, uh, but why then hold on till the very end, when he was finished, to say, you have a chance to review this with us, when they were already decided on his fate? This was my, this was my take on that whole incident. They clearly were not convinced by what had happened on the green. Um, and they were looking at it again, and they were wondering how this ball had moved backwards, where, you know, had he accidentally hit it, what happened? So they were clearly looking at it, and I think that all of a sudden it got to a point where they've obviously told him on 12, because they feel they have to, that we're looking at this. I think they did that for PR purposes, so that he we didn't have another situation, albeit I know that was on the 18th anyway, so there was no chance previously to say to him, in the other in the other major, you grounded your club, and by mm-hmm. the way, you're going to have to take a penalty. I think they did it to keep themselves on the right side of PR, which then ultimately backfired because I think they wanted to make sure that he knew that he was potentially going to get a stroke penalty, so he couldn't come in after 18 and said, "If you had told me I was getting oh, a penalty on the ninth, tenth, or eleventh, 
or 12th, I would have been in a position to deal with that. To play differently, yeah. So I think that was their first thinking. And then all of a sudden, they couldn't make a decision, or they had made a decision, but they didn't want to then go out to him on the 14th and say, by the way, you have a stroke penalty. And then that would have then been criticised if his game went to shit at that stage, and he loses it by two strokes, and his complaint is, you come to me on 12 and tell me you're looking at it, and then you come to me four holes out on the last, like from the 68th to the 72nd hole of a major championship, and now tell me I'm getting a penalty stroke. That's unfair. So I actually think that they ended up between the devil and the deep blue sea on this. They went out because they thought for PR purposes it's a good idea to let the player know so he knows what he has to shoot in the last six or seven holes. Mm. The problem was that but once the decision know. had me... No, but he knew that there was a chance... That he had a one-shot penalty, which meant that he knew that he probably needed a two-shot win to be certain of it. And I just wonder, well, can I I put it this way to you? What would you say that if he had a two-shot lead on the 16th tee box and they came and said, we're enforcing a one-stroke penalty on you? And all of a sudden, you know, he goes and his game goes to shit, concentration's gone because a rule official has just come and told him. You have a one-shot penalty. And then all of a sudden he blows up and he has three double bogeys, for just for argument's sake. Mm. Is that fair? And I think that the GA probably thought, it's not fair for us to go back out to him and say, you have this penalty. I think we need to just see this out. But I think the decision was made. And but, I don't think that they knew then what to do. So why did they go, Why not just say to him on the 12th when they actually came out to have a talk with him and just say, you've got a one-stroke penalty. Like, why not just do it I don't the think they made the decision then. It's absolutely pathetic. That's preposterous. The question, the question that needs to be asked, in my opinion, of the GA is when the decision was made. Mm. When did somebody in the Rules Committee meeting room say we are enforcing a one-stroke penalty on this player. Because if that decision had been made on the when he was going up the 8th, then they should have gone to him on the 9th and said, the committee have looked yeah. at it, it's a one-shot penalty. Clearly they hadn't made a decision by the 12th because they only put him on notice of, we're mm. looking at it. And I think then they thought, oh bollocks, maybe we shouldn't have told him. And maybe now that we've told him, we can't now go back and say, and by the way, because would we be more criticised for then telling him that actually you have? He then goes to shit and he comes out and says, it's so unfair that three holes out from finishing this tournament, they then come and say to me, by the way, you're getting a stroke penalty. See, I think it's egomaniacal and self-serving of the USGA to have done that in the way they did it. They've given themselves two outs. One, if Dustin Johnson comes in, one shot the lead or tied with somebody else after 18 holes, they go... Yeah, we've reviewed it. We're not giving you the penalty. You didn't. Uh, you didn't cause the ball to move. Or two, he wins by multiple shots. They get to use their rule, you know, rule calling powers and the rules that they've made, and say, "Well, we're enforcing our rules." You know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in a championship. We're able to enforce our rules. So either way, they think they come out smelling of roses by doing by operating in this manner and letting it go right to the end. But it's an absolute if, shit. If this storm. had happened in round one or two, do you think we'd still be talking about it? If if there was an incident no, not with Justin Johnson on the fifth hole of round one and he was told um, the twelfth hole of round one and then at the end of round one they enforce a one-shot penalty, do we think we'd be talking about it? If this happened in round one, they would not have reviewed it. They would, not, they would have let the referee's call stand 100%. This was them grabbing an opportunity to go, we're the rule makers, we're the rule enforcers 
and they just like they stamped their authority and just whipped out you know just zipped down their flies and pissed all over the place and said we're owning this we are the rule guys and they gave themselves they gave themselves like an arbitrage situation in their mind now what they actually did was make an absolute shitstorm of the entire final round and ruined it for a lot of people as an enjoyable spectacle because of this dominating conversation and theme that went throughout the entire thing it really really pissed me off it ruined what is one of my favourite nights of the year, watching the US Open, players battling to save par right down the stretch. We're always in Carnford as well, so it's a double win. Like, I'm, I really, really am annoyed. And I'm glad they've backtracked, but it's going to take a long time for them to gain that you know, any sort of respect back for the players for making such an absolute mess of it. Now, the players Do you honestly it. think they care? The player, No, they don't give a shit. No, so, like, the I don't think know. they care whether or not the players respect them or not. It's their tournament, and ultimately... Next year, there will still be a hundred and something of the top class players turning up to play in their tournament. They're not going to boycott yeah. because of their behaviour this the year. Is, so, the USG, do they give a shit? They have a bigger, there's a bigger picture at hand in them and they're trying to grow the game. They are the body that oversees golf in the States. If they're doing silly, petty things like this and operating like idiots, it's not good for the game. And it's they're not good all, for the game, no, but, not. It, but at the same time, I'm not sure that they're having any sleepless nights about what the players... Justin Johnson doesn't want to go back next year to defend his title. They don't care. No, it's not that, but it's the fact that these, this is the body that's supposed to be responsible for the game. And to be oper- to operate and behave so irresponsibly and messily and just silly, silly stuff. Like I just think it's At terrible. At what point do you think that there is a responsibility... Like... We play at weekends. I mark your card. I'm I'm the rule caller on your you know your your game. Yeah. Do you think that Lee Westwood has some responsibility in in stepping in to ask the question? What exactly happened here? He you did. See, no, he didn't. You see, he just instantly said he didn't ground the putter. But sure, he's he didn't go there. in to say to the ref and to them, you know, uh, what what's the issue here? I'm marking his card. So what's what's the issue here? But how do you know he wasn't watching it from off camera? Like I'm pretty, like, we're all pretty aware. We, we have the, the we have the we have oh, we we have the voice recording, which has been played repeatedly, and the ball moves, and Dustin says call is is calling the real guy over, and there's no interaction between Westwood and anybody. All you hear is he didn't ground the putter. That's all you get. But does he not have a responsibility? So there's two points to this. Does he not have a responsibility to walk into the conversation between Dustin Johnson and the rules official to say, I've been watching it. He didn't ground the putter. I'm marking his card. I'm satisfied that it was not. The pros mark their own cards. Yeah, but ultimately... He'll sign it, but the pros mark their own own cards. It's not like amateur golf where we mark each other's cards. but, but like, whose responsibility said, then is it? Then why is Westwood getting involved? But Westwood has already said it because he's a fellow player in a, co- a competition where something crazy is about to happen or a stupid little tiny rule that shouldn't even be there in the first place on greens that are playing like slick ice and the ball moves like a millimeter and it wasn't Johnson's fault. Westwood said his part. I don't think he has any more business being involved in that situation. That's between Johnson and the referee. Westwood said he didn't ground his putter. I don't think he has any more needs to be involved in that conversation. So then, the once, once the referee says, is is in there, yeah. and, and a decision is made, that should be it. Final. That's why you have a referee of the group. Otherwise, why have a referee of the group? Just go on camera evidence the whole time. It's a waste of time having a referee with every group. Then just have the roving referees and the buggies all the time. Um, I, I mean, the, the USGA actually say if their rules say if a referee is appointed to a group, 
that referee's call is the decision. And yet they've gone and taken their rules and just gone, actually, no, we don't want that. It doesn't suit us in this situation. I, I think it's an absolute mess. But locally, I'd say they're delighted and so happy it didn't affect the outcome of the tournament negative well negatively and any of the players who were finished below Johnson they didn't none of them have said that it has affected them negatively I'd say they all actually smart pros they are assumed once they heard this he was he was under review they just had to assume he was getting a one stroke penalty and play accordingly do you think that what they need to do in the future is that if somebody's under review there's just a time limit on the review that's a really good idea so just if you if you get told you're on a review, then the decision, well, decision has to be made within ten one, minutes or one two holes know. or something like that. Well, just ten minutes. Like how yeah. long does it take to review it? Like they're not going to put them on notice of it until they're they've decided. It's a bit like Formula One. Every time I saw this, Formula One kept coming back into my head. You mm. know, the, the guys keep racing, and then you you hear on the Formula One car number forty two is under review under review because of A, B, C, D and E. And that information is communicated to the TV, it's communicated to the team, mm. obviously the drivers hear that. So the guy in number 42 knows I'm under review, I can do nothing but keep going and I'll see what happens. And then the review will say, okay, it's a drive-through penalty or it's whatever it is or no, you're no longer under review. Why not just simply say from now on? Time limit. Okay, if, if somebody <clears throat> goes under review... And, you know, there is this committee which is entitled to review any decisions that are on the course that they have X amount of time to, to review it and they can make a decision within that time and, and mm. that will communicate it to both why there's um, the person's under review to the TV camera so they know and then they know within 10 minutes they'll have a decision. Mm. I think the whole reason they said there was the delay between the 5th and the 12th was because of logistical issues. The referee had to go in to review it they need, okay, they'll need to come up with some sort of like being able to review it remotely out in the course on an iPad or whatever. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely possible to develop a system. I think the bigger question here is to be able to remove that outrageous rule about the ball moving on the green. I mean, you should only really be penalized. You should only penalize a shot if you move the ball by hitting it with your putter. I mean, if you stand over the ball on a sunny day and your shadow is over the ball, grass can move because the shadow and the sun isn't there anymore and that can cause the ball to move I mean how how crazy is that they need to remove that rule from golf well anyway let's, let's move on because um, good week by Sergio Garcia Kevin Nadd Jason Duffner um, and I suppose really the weekend has to be given over to Jim Furyk who is not long back after a fairly tough wrist injury and has played very little golf to finish tied second this weekend was a superb um uh, result by him. I've got to give Henrik Stenson great, uh, great respect for not snapping a club this week. Though what he did and walking off is um, really, really, really poor. Uh, I I have to say that he has just completely and utterly gone down in my estimations as a as a player. I think yeah. it's absolutely outrageous that he just withdraws from a competition because he couldn't be arsed coming back to finish two holes. I don't care whether or not you're going to sign a card. For 25 over or for 25 under, you know, Henrik Sensen, in my opinion, should be ashamed of himself for not turning up for the final two holes. I agree. It was very, very unprofessional. Uh, and I just think that it's, it's, it's just bad form. And if this is what people are being, you know, told to look at towards the professionals and the way professionals play, 
I think it's as as as, as bad a behaviour I've seen by a pro of such standing. Um, there was no real reason for it other than petulance. And uh, personally, I really hope that the uh, the USGA or whoever um, is the governing body for sanctioning gives him some form of serious sanction. And in my opinion, a fine for a guy like him means zero. I would actually deduct him playing rights you know next year at the US Open or they'll they need to do something to stand up to behavior like that because it's in my opinion it's just pure petulance yeah. and uh, the only way these guys are going to learn and, and and let's be honest we had Rory a couple of years ago doing it as well so he's not the only person he oh, claimed about the, the Honda two yeah, yeah. but this is not acceptable and and if we were put in front of a committee as amateurs in our own club you would expect that your playing rights could be suspended for a week Mm. due to behaviour Henrik Stenson should not be entitled to, to either play in the next major or should not be allowed to play in this next year because of such behaviour because also the fact that he's taking up a spot that some young lad would have been more than happy to turn up and finish out the two final holes even if he was going to card a 10 or 11 over so I think you can probably tell since my Tiger Woods rant a few years ago Henrik Stenson is um getting the same certain treatment and well deserved as well it was very poor so let's hope we don't see it again that is the week that was let's have a look very briefly at next week's competitions and uh, the LPGA is at the Walmart um, Northwest Arkansas Championship presented by P&G it's um, at Rogers Arizona 6,386 yard par 71 and uh, Nat Choi defends. And do you have any betting available? Uh, Lydia Ko is strong favourite at three to one. Aria Judanugarn is ten to one. Inji Chun is eleven. Seyoung Kim winner last week is twelve to one, along with Brooke Henderson. So Young Ryu sixteen to one. Stacey Lewis eighteen. Minji Lee twenty. Amy Yang is twenty two. Jarena Pillar twenty eight to one, along with Harry Nomura, Nayon Choi, and Azahara Munoz are forty to one. Mika Miyazato fifty to one, and the rest are sixty six to one and out. Um, perfect. And then going to the European Tour, and the European Tour is uh, being played at the BMW International Open, and it's at the uh, Golf Club Gutlochhof uh, in Germany. Um, that, I, hear, I believe that's how they say that in um, yeah, mid-South or South Germany. Pretty or much, like yeah. That, yeah. So it's the 7,229-yard par 72, and Paro Larathabel defends. Uh, this is the Jack Nicholas-designed course, and uh, Barry, you've had a look at this, and you might also tell the lads what the... Um, Just briefly, yeah, so... Um, Birdie Fest this week, guys. The course has had a bit of rain. Um, it'll make the greens more receptive to fairies a bit wider. Uh, so uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see how the guys coming back from the US Open where par, if not just over par, was a target and you're struggling for it all the way um, how they adapt and change their games to getting into scoring mode this week so um, yeah, top of the leader top of the uh, betting is Sergio Garcia at 8-1 to one, Henrik Stenson and Danny Willard are 9-1 to one. then it jumped down to Jos Lauten is 20-1 to one. Andy Sullivan, twenty-eight to one. Tyrrell Hatton, Ross Fisher, Bernd Wiesberger are thirty-three to one. At thirty-five to one, we have Andrew Johnson and Richard Carlberg. Did you see the picture of Andrew Johnson leaving Pittsburgh? He like literally plastered in every Pittsburgh sports team's paraphernalia. It was really cool. Um, Nicholas Colesart's forty to one, and the rest of the field are fifty to one and out. Um, 
medium strength field, European tour field. A few, yeah. few marquee names. So the PGA Tour is, as we said earlier, the Quicken Loans National. It's at the Congressional Golf and Country Club. It's being played off the blue. And it is the 7,569 yard par 71. And Troy Merritt defends. And uh, Barry, you were pointing out to me earlier that this is where Rory won the 2011 US Open. So it's a course that a lot of people are going to be well aware of. A mm. um, couple of other interesting points, and then maybe you might just outline what you think the weather is going to be like, and then I'll jump in with some of the betting for the, the week. Uh, there are thunderstorms predicted for Tuesday and Wednesday, which means the course will start out soft during the week, but it's going to get dry and hot, and it will dry out during the week, so we might actually get a glimpse of Congressional as they wanted it to be back in 2011 for the US Open when Rory absolutely decimated the course finishing 16 under and 8 shots clear of anybody else um, just an absolute masterclass that week it was a joy to watch the course is a classical design narrow fairways small greens it is the second longest par 71 on the PGA Tour so um, you better have your long straight hitting on boots on this week so the odds then, Ricky Fowler is leading it at 14 to 1, Patrick Reed 16 to 1, Jim Furyk 20 to 1, uh, Gary Woodland 25 to 1, Charlie Hoffman and Mark Leishman 28 to 1, uh, Bo Hung An and Bill Haas, Justin Thomas 30 to 1, Kevin Chappell, Bryson DeChambeau and Ryan Palmer, Brendan Steele all 33 to 1, and then we're kind of looking thereafter kind of the 40s and 50s and 60s so and a strong enough top end of the field probably the strength and depth isn't quite there but then this is a tournament the week after the US Open that you know sucks unfortunately away from a lot of the big guys Troy Merritt who won last year is 125 to 1 so you know it's 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 a deep field and it's um it, it's it's a, a light-ish field do you know who's really impressive actually and in his uh, in the U.S. Open, Bryson DeChambeau, he just keeps on keeping on. Like, and at thirty-three to one, he's kind of half tempting this week. Well, just based on the winner from last week, you know, I I just noticed Will McKenzie is there at two hundred to one, and um, so uh, so he might. Uh, it would be nice to see back to back, you know, winners for just uh, that that week. Uh, last week, Dustin. This week, Will McKenzie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google that. Um, and uh, you'll you'll realise what I'm alluding to. There is a link. Uh, there is definitely a link, uh, and uh, her name is. Um, so that I suppose, Barry, are you gonna have any bets on this? Uh, how were your bets last week? Did you get anything, or did you just uh, I had did a- you dive like Roy McIlroy's long game? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had Adam Scott in the running for a while. We just never seemed to be able to. He was kind of in the... Uh, he could see the leaders down the road, but just couldn't catch up to the pack. And, um, yeah, whatever. You know, it kind of sucked. But, um, I mean, I think, looking back at it and thinking about it, probably should have put the pieces together a little bit better for Dustin Johnson. He's had a poor major conversion record, and as such, his starting price was quite poor and, uh, and not too tempting to take on. But he'd been playing phenomenal golf in the lead-up to this, and he really was telegraphing a win we just, I just didn't think it was going to be in a US Open. I just didn't think he had it in him or he had a blow-up round in him. And he uh, spectacularly proved that wrong and a really, really impressive win. Yeah, no, it was. And uh, I suppose that was, you know, the week that was in it. And, and we're looking forward to the week that's ahead. Uh, a good think, bit of decent golf on and mm-hmm. 
Um, you're going to be playing quite a bit now with no laying up, so make sure people keep in contact with us through our podcast GTS, a good talk yeah. spoiled at gmail.com. Um, no laying up's Twitter handle is at no, no laying, laying up, and uh, one of the best golf Twitter accounts out there. I don't know how, I, I literally don't know how he has the time to send them all. Uh, it's a uh, to feed to engineering to do that. Well, keep keep in contact over the course, uh, you know, and uh, you'll be, I'm sure, game golfing it over the course of the weekend as well, so people can keep following your rounds and uh, deleting shots to make my score look better. Yeah, all the usual tricks. Well, it's good that they all know that <laughs> you've admitted to it. So, yeah, game golf. Download the app, um, and you can follow me, James Richardson, or Barry O'Hanrahan um, under his name, and. Um, I suppose that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, uh, an interesting week, a lot of controversy, and hopefully this week might be a little bit quieter on the on the rules front. Thank you, Barry, for all your input. Thank Cheers, you James. for the listeners, for everybody who downloads. Make sure you keep downloading and tell your friends about it. At Podcast GTS is the Twitter handle at goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. Game Golf app. and we Don't forget talk. to give us a rating on iTunes if you can. Oh, yes, we always appreciate forget to it. say that. We do. Um, so look the very best of luck enjoy the golf if you're playing and if not enjoy watching it and we'll talk to you again this time next week bye bye well you're fine bye bye